To the north, south, east, and west, four quarters of the world. Greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Instead of our usual fan fiction writer interview today, we are presenting a casual discussion of various topics which I have unofficially and affectionately titled The Controversial Shit Episode. (laughs) That's right, folks. Today, we are discussing on purpose a plethora of controversial fan fiction topics, including but not limited to questionable ships, questionable age gaps, and questionable tropes. This episode will contain mature adult content, so please be aware of that. If you are easily offended by questionable ships, questionable age gaps, or questionable tropes, you may want to skip this episode altogether. But... If any of these topics intrigue you, then come on in. My gorgeous, amazing co-host today is Dan Puff from the Harry Potter fandom. Dan Puff has appeared on multiple podcasts, including this one, Care of Magical Shippers, and Snape Chad. She also writes beautiful snarry fanfiction on AO3 under the pen name Dan Puff. So please go check out her work, Dan Puff. Thank you so much for joining us today, being co-host to my crazy insanity. We're so glad that you're here today. Of course, I couldn't let you do this by yourself. And you know what? If I have to be here to make my dreams come true, you know what? We're going to make that happen. Exactly. It's kind of funny how this thing kind of shook out for us because, you know, you and I, I love you, Danny. Like we have the coolest conversations. We email back and forth all the time about fan fiction and fandom stuff. And you are always like, this is one of the things I love about you is you are always 100% on board with listening to me word vomit about all of the things that I'm obsessed about fandom wise at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yes. You're just so good about that. And uh, I remember in the middle of the summertime, um, you know, Stranger Things 4 came out, right? I watched Stranger Things 4 and I was like, oh, this is good. And it kind of got me back into reading Stranger Things fan fiction again, which sort of like reignited my whole like obsession with Herring Grow fan fiction. And so I couldn't shut up about it and I had nobody to talk to. So I was like, I will talk to my good friend Danny about this topic. <laughs> and you know nothing about it, but you were so good and kind. And you were like, yeah, this is awesome. And we had these amazing conversations through email about controversial ships, what that means. Why are they controversial? Why are they worth talking about? And we we just had these amazing conversations. And I think at the end of one of those conversations, you were like, you know what? This would actually make a really <laughs> great podcast episode. Yes. <laughs> well, we just both have so much to say about it. So it made sense. Exactly. I feel like we had at least like three or four monster like text wall emails back and forth about this topic in the, in a matter of days, you know, because we were just so on fire yes, about it. We were pumped. Yeah. Well, there's just so much to say, right? There's so much to say, especially if you happen to be in the camp of reading or liking things that others might find a little controversial, right? That topic does come up in the fan fiction community quite frequently especially in recent years with the advent of social media, right? It's everywhere. The discourse is everywhere. So let's talk about it. Yeah. I think part of it's like, it's 
the social media of it. It's people having big, loud opinions. It's the purity culture that's just invading everywhere and people thinking, you know, you have to be morally correct in every area of your life. And it turns into this whole thought police issue. And, you know, I've just always been interested in more controversial content like I was raised on that so I've never blinked at anything that was dark or weird so I never really understood it and I'm just very you know if you don't like that that's fine but there's nothing wrong with me for liking it right right and I can't wait to dig into that because I feel like that's a huge part of my fascination with the controversial stuff and how people react to it, especially online. Because yeah. you're right, the purity culture reaction to some of this stuff is like, it's sad in one way because uh, real people get hurt by it. But it's also fascinating mm-hmm. on the other hand, because you're just like, where is this coming from? Like, I, I just don't understand it. So we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But first, of course, you know, <laughs> being Capricorn Virgo Virgo, I want to get all <laughs> organized and shit on this. So uh, we'll Which go in order. I here. love. Yes. So we'll go in order. I think that we decided that the first thing we wanted to talk about was questionable ships and pro-shipping. And I'll be honest, Danny, the term pro-shipping is kind of new for me. When I got started in fan fiction back in the late 90s, I don't feel like pro-shipping was even a term that anybody used. I don't ever remember encountering that until just the last... I don't know, maybe five years. Can you help me and some of our audience members who might not know exactly how to define that? Can you kind of walk us through what pro shipping is? Sure. I don't know exactly when it came up, but it's definitely been a more recent thing where I never really heard it too much before. But pro shipping basically is ship and let ship. You know, if you don't ship something, that's fine. You could have any reason you want for not shipping things, but you don't, there's no judgment for other ships. Like I can say, I'm not a Drary fan myself, but there's nothing wrong with Drary. You know, I can say, I don't like this or that, but you know, you don't judge people and it's just accepting that anything is fine because it's, it's fandom. It's fun. Anti-shipping is more that judgmental, like, morality look at it where, you know, these ships are wrong. Like, there's something wrong with it. It's There's something wrong with you for shipping it. So it's sort of the idea of, like, just whether you think people can like what they like or not. (laughs) Okay. So kind of that whole, like, idea of policing what people like in their fan fiction consumption or the way that they interact and show up in fandom spaces, basically, right? Yeah. Which is so interesting. Okay, so we got the pro-shipping and we got the anti-shipping. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you're pretty pro-ship, right? Definitely. And there are some people where you can say like their mindset is more in pro-shipping, but they don't like to proclaim to be pro-shipping because it's like their ideas that you know, fandom's always been pro-ship and, you know, that's just the way things should be. And there's just this idea of what pro-shipping is as being kind of like pro and anti or like opposite ends of the spectrum. And people who don't really want to get involved in the discourse might not claim that term, but you can still pretty much look at something and tell whether or not, you know, 
what kind of mindset that person's following with it. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's so interesting that you bring that up. I love that because I feel like probably a lot of the older people in fandom, those of us that did not grow up with these terms, right? Yeah. Uh, we probably sort of buck against the idea of being labeled that way. I love what you said about the fan fiction space and the fandom spaces were always kind of like, I feel like you're right. They were always kind of pro ship anyway. Like people just kind of shipped who they yeah. want to ship. And it was just that that was accepted. And that was kind of the way that it was. And you expected that when you come into these spaces, you expect that people are just going to have the ships that they like. And it might not be your thing, but that's cool. No judgment. People can, you know, like what yeah. they like. And maybe that's just me projecting my own experiences. I just don't remember a whole lot of like weird discourse back then about bro ship and anti ship and all of that. So, you know, take yeah. all of this with a grain of salt, right? <laughs> but uh, I feel like I have to agree with you on your point that fandom spaces and fan fiction spaces were always kind of this like free for all of ship whoever you want to ship. And that, that's okay, man. That's okay. Uh, well, and thank God, because then you get like yeah. really interesting, cool stuff. Like th the first thing on our list here is, uh, you know, the Sneery ship, of course, because that course. is a OTP that we both share and love tremendously, right? Yes. The ship of my soul, as I like to say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And to this day, like, Sneery is the only way that I interact with the Harry Potter fandom anymore. Like, it's the only ship I interact with anymore. So it's all about Sneery for me and for you, too. And obviously, yes. right, like, this ship for Sneery has always been historically controversial. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. And it's funny that I just stumbled right into it and you know if you recall from our last episode I came into it pretty young so yeah I just never knew anything else and I kind of stayed in my own bubble and it's only the past few years where I've been more involved in like the community aspect of things where I realized there's a lot of people who don't like Snape and who have issues with ships like Snary and me being like Oh, okay. <laughs> now, let me ask you this, because you were so young when you stumbled onto Snary. When you first started reading Snary fan fiction, did it ever occur to you back then? I like this, but it is weird. You know, like I can see how like with the age gap and with the kind of person Snape is like this is kind of weird. Or did it like never occur to you that it was weird at all? That's an interesting question because kind of both. It's more that I was always a weird person and was always aware that a lot of my interests were different. So I don't know, it was just par for the course with me. But at the same time, you know, it just kind of was like, this is normal because it's me, but also I am weird. So <laughs> it's more like that was sort of the thing where it never felt out of place in my world. But, you know, I grew up watching horror films, you know, gore and nudity. And I was reading all sorts of things. You know, my parents never kept me from any sort of content. My mom was always of the opinion, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff in this world. I'm not going to hide you from any of it. And just, you know, she's there with me through a lot of it. So, you know, I was always exposed to a lot of things. I'd always seen a lot of things. And because that was me growing up, I was always 
you know, I, I never really cared for, you know, content aimed at my age group because I, it was boring, you know? I, I was watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't want to watch Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> right, right. So you stumbled into staring and were like, ah, my kind of stuff right here. <laughs> yeah, and at the time, like, I was 11. It was 2003, 2004. And a lot of stuff out there was underage. It was, you know dubious consent at best it was a lot of detention porn and death eater stuff you know everything I was reading was pretty dark and explicit everything I read back then was controversial not just the ship itself but the content I was reading a lot of stuff in snaring now is you see a lot more you know the softer side the fluff you know there's a lot more variety maybe or maybe I just wasn't seeing it back then I don't know but I do think things back then were a lot more on the darker grittier side of things so that's what I grew up loving yes that's such a great point as you're talking I'm thinking back hmm yeah okay I'm thinking back to all of like the scary stuff that I initially read you are so right I don't remember reading a single fluff piece ever. I don't even know if that existed. It was all super dark, gritty, gritty stuff. I just ate it up. I ate it up, man. But like, you know, it's funny because like I come at it from sort of a different side because I think I've mentioned on the show before. Maybe I haven't, but I think I have. I was raised in a pretty fundamentalist religion. I'm not religious now, but I was raised that way. And so my parents were super controlling about the stuff that we consumed as kids. And so, like, I was very sheltered in the stuff that I was allowed to consume. So my fan fiction consumption was kept very secret. Like, I kept that shit secret. And, <laughs> um, and so, like, I was consuming all of the dark stuff. But fan fiction was my initial introduction into dark stuff. And it turns out that I love it and just can't get enough of that stuff. So it wasn't shocking for me. It was just kind of like, oh, I like this. Like, this is interesting to my brain. And I was not uncomfortable with it. It didn't make me upset. It made me think a lot, you know, because it was my first introduction to that kind of thing. But it is just kind of interesting that um, I remember reading all the dark, snary stuff, and it never occurred to me ever, Danny, that any of it was problematic or like controversial, <laughs> you know, that never crossed my brain. I was just like, oh, this is so interesting, the things that they're exploring in this piece and oh, uh, uh. and I just kept going. And it wasn't until later, yeah. much, 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 much later that I started seeing discourse about it. And then it occurred to me like, Oh, not everybody thinks this is cool or okay. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so, and, yeah. And yeah. It's funny, though, for me, it's like I recognize that it would be problematic in world or so. Like, oh, it's student teacher. That's a scandal. And like, oh, that's fun. But it was more like, in world issues and then my entertainment of that more so than oh am I a bad person because I'm liking this but I've always been aware of like you know this is fiction it's not real and there's a difference between what I believe in 
what my morals and principles are in real life versus what I'm reading. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that is such an important distinction. And I hope that this comes up later as we continue our conversation, because like, to me, that is the pinnacle point of all of this is this weird equating of foundational morality between what you like and consume in fiction versus what you agree with and you are okay with in the real world as a real world person, right? Because I feel like there are people out there who want to equate what you consume in media, especially in fan fiction, with who you actually are as a person and what your character is as a person, which I think is really unfortunate because like as a dark fic reader, people would probably look through my bookmarks on AO3 and be like, this is the worst person that has ever personed in the history of persons. Like this person is so fucked up, you know, but unequivocally, I do not condone any of the stuff that I'm actually reading in real life. I would never condone any of that dark shit stuff, right? In fiction, it's not real. Nobody's getting hurt. It's a piece of fiction yeah. that's not real. So the person that I am in real life, completely different from what my AO3 bookmarks would suggest. So I think that this weird equating that we do sometimes in fandom where, you know, we point at someone who has a controversial ship or likes controversial tropes or what have you. And we say, that's a bad person. Like that just does not compute to me. It doesn't make any sense to yeah. me because it's not true. It's not. <laughs> And actually, kind of going back to the ship part of it, just to sort of put things into perspective a little bit, I was thinking when we were talking about doing this, you know, there's the Snary for, you know, Harry Potter. But when it occurred to me that Snary was problematic, what never occurred to me at the time was that there are people who think that Dreary is problematic, which... Is kind of funny to me, but I have like stumbled upon it that it's the whole enemies to lovers trope in general is problematic to people. And and I don't know, they're like the same age, you know, there's a lot of room for angst in that ship, a lot of room for like being cute and fluffy, a lot of like redemption there. It it never appealed to me. Uh, Dreary was a little too tame in comparison to things that I enjoyed more but there are people that do see just Draco and Harry as an issue because of the enemies to lovers you know he was a death eater you know that whole thing and then there's Snary which is you know Draco bullied Harry Snake bullied Harry there's the age gap in Snary the power dynamics with the teacher student and then another fairly popular Harry ship is Tomary Mort. What is that? So Tomary Mort is Tom Riddle in Voldemort and Harry. A lot of people will kind of separate them, you know, Tom Riddle and Voldemort are different. So there's Tomary if you're looking at more the Tom Riddle of it. Yeah. And Harry Mort if you're looking at the Voldemort and Harry of it. But if you're just kind of lumping them all together, then it's Tomary Mort. Okay. Okay. Now, okay. So question. (laughs) Question. Because I don't know anything about Tomary Mort. Are there fan fictions that have all three in the same fic? Like a threesome kind of? I've seen them. I I don't really read it much. 
But, you know, if you're going to talk about controversial shifts, that's got to be a big one. And just, you know, the age gap, the whole, you know, one murdered the other's parents kind of thing. Right. Well, yeah, one being like this super villain, the other being like this righteous hero savior of the world. Yeah. So big opposites attract good versus evil. I don't know. I feel like I have seen figs where... There's Tom and Voldemort and Harry, usually with Tom being some form of Horcrux come back, but it's out there. I just don't know as much about it, but, you know, you you can look at that as being like a nice little pipeline from like your softer end of the enemies to lovers to the very extreme end of things that is like ripe for dark content. I would say so. I would say so. And it's actually kind of funny because... The more that I look at popular Harry Potter fan fiction now, you know, in the last couple of years, I have seen a lot of like really, really popular Harry Potter fan fictions that are Tom Riddle slash Harry Potter, you know, which I don't feel like I saw a whole lot of back in the 90s, early 2000s. Maybe it's just me because I wasn't looking for it. But yeah, same. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I feel like I see it more now. And they're very popular. Like they have a lot of kudos and a lot of comments. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people out there who are fascinated by that dynamic and want to see that kind of a thing. But it is just interesting that I'm seeing it a lot more now than I used to. So and a lot of my friends are like to Mary Mort fans. And I've got to say, if I find out someone is into that, I am much more interested in that person because I'm like, you are really cool. The Tamari Mort gang, great. Like, they're all very interesting. They're, they're more into dark, weird kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, <laughs> people who ship that ship, I'm just like, oh, I know you're a cool person. Even though I don't ship it, I'm just like, that tells me something good about you. (laughs) Right, right, exactly, exactly. No, I think that's super cool, super cool. And, you know, as we're talking about, you know, the whole Tom Riddle thing, I imagine that pretty much any ship with Tom Riddle or Voldemort would probably be controversial just because it's like Voldemort, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And people are just like, ah, (laughs) And we've talked about this before, you and I, because I had a uh, fan tomato on, uh, I think it was earlier this year. We we talked about, right, like ships with yeah. Voldemort and everything. So I have had some exposure to that reading their fan fiction. And uh, it was fantastic. It was amazing. You know, that was my first kind of introduction to that. And the questions that it brought up, amazing. I mean, and I appreciated that. The fact that some of these more controversial ships, um, <laughs> while they may be, you know, quote unquote controversial. They also bring up amazing questions, amazing opportunities for us to sit and think and ask those important questions. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, and that's what I really liked about the episode with Fan Tomato is they have a lot of good points about stuff and a lot of a very interesting view of things. I know they're very interested in Voldemort and exploring more of the human side to that character and not just this caricature villain, which, you know, it's how do I put this? I guess I was always aware that there would be more to that character, but it just never appealed to me until I heard them talk about it because you get people who are very passionate about a subject and you're like, oh, now I care much more. I'm much more invested in it now. And I've read a lot more Voldemort content since then. And it is, there's a lot of the Voldemort stories out there do tend to be on the darker side just because 
you know, that's your villain character. That's what kind of inspires people, I guess. And nothing wrong with that. But it's also interesting to see more depth to that character and exploring different ways of that character kind of going through life and the different scenarios they can find themselves in for better or worse. Well, and you know what? The way that you put that, perfect. Because like that actually perfectly describes why I like Snary. I like Harry Potter, okay? I'm going to go on the record and yeah. say Harry Potter's great. Like super great. He's so sweet. Amazing guy. But like <laughs> I've always been so drawn to Snape. Like he's just so dark and so unhinged yes. and he has so many things wrong with him. And so like the opportunity to explore him through Snary yes. has always been the draw for me because I'm just like this guy is so fucked up. You know? Like <laughs> and it's so great. I don't know. I, I know I've said this before like a thousand times, but like sometimes I feel like I'm a little fucked up, right? And so when I see yeah. this other fucked up character and really drilling down on that fucked up character, that is so helpful for my own self-acceptance, right, of myself to yeah. be like, okay, I'm not alone. We can all be fucked up together and that's okay. And I think it helped me with self-compassion, Danny, which sounds so weird yeah. to say that. No, I get it. Developing that compassion for Severus Snape through fan fiction and the exploration of him through fan fiction kind of helped me mm -hmm. develop this self-compassion for myself to be like, hey, I'm human too, just like Snape. Like at the end of the day, we're all just human beings. We're trying to get through our shit and we're not going to be yeah. perfect. And that's what I think draws me to these more controversial characters because like, you know, Voldemort, controversial character, Snape, very controversial character. But I've always loved Snape. Like the books came out when I was five and I probably read them around that time, you know, between five and seven probably. And I loved him from the start. You know, it didn't matter, like, little kid Danny, just like, this mean teacher, I'm in love with him. He's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so I, part of me was drawn to him even back then, but I've always been more interested in very, you know, messed up people. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I prefer seeing the flaws in fictional characters because, you know, I'm flawed and other people are flawed and I feel like accepting those imperfections in people is important you know I don't think you can love someone if you only love the good parts of them if you only see the good in them you have to accept that everyone is flawed everyone makes mistakes everyone screws up you know everyone's going to slip up and do say think something bad in their lifetime you know we're all human so exploring that in fictional characters is very important to me and I prefer seeing those flaws on display in fictional characters and I think part of it's the scenario is exploring Snape who is a very messed up character like we say but he also sort of brings out that worst side of Harry too which is also interesting to explore I think they bring out the best and the worst in each other so that's fascinating on one that it's just interesting to watch play out but there's also like a deeper part of it where you're seeing these two people who see each other fully who see the worst in each other and accept that and love each other 
either in spite of that or even because of it and exploring those really dirty dark sides of humanity that's in all of us really yeah I think you're so right and I think that you're also so right in the sense that that's very true to life any of us that have ever been in a relationship with another human being, you know, you can attest that that is certainly part of real life relationships, right? You're never going to be in a relationship with a perfect person. That is never yeah. going to happen. And so part of the relationship is, you know, being able to fully accept your partner for whatever flaws they are going to have because they're going to have them. They're going to have them. Oh, yeah. And so are you. You're not perfect either, so you are going to have flaws too. And so you have these two imperfect people who have to come together and somehow make their flaws work with each other. And that is the dirty work of relationships. We're all going through it one way or the other. I think Snary just kind of puts it on this extreme. It's like an extreme example of that. And so I can understand. I can understand why people look at that and say, ah, oh, controversial or whatever. But I think, uh, well, okay, we'll probably say more about that, about that ship, I think, when we talk about the age gap stuff. So I'll stop on this Snary stuff. For now. <laughs> but um, I'll move on because, uh, you know, I, I, I was mentioning Herring Grove at the beginning of, of today's yeah. show because that's what kind of got us on this topic in the the first place was, you know, me fandom dumping on you uh, with all of the Herring Grove stuff. And I was aware, you know, from the get go that Herring Grove is a controversial ship. It's Steve Harrington and Billy Hargrove from Stranger Things. And there are a lot of reasons why this is a controversial ship. A lot of people get really upset because they have these gushy, mushy feelings about Steve Harrington. And they're like, oh, Billy's so mean to Steve. And, and Billy beats Steve up. And Billy's just an asshole. And, you know, it's a, uh, what do they call it? Um, an abusive relationship, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I can see that. All right, that's fine, you know. And then people like to hurl accusations about, you know, Billy Hargrove did and said racist things on the show. And that can be argued to death. I don't really want to get into that. But yeah, there are many reasons, right, why people think like, oh, Billy is just like this asshole, like villain character in the show. And how dare people ship him with good, sweet Steve Harrington and everything, which is hilarious to me. OK, because I just have to point out that Steve Harrington started out as an asshole, too. Like if you watch season <laughs> one of Stranger Things. He's a fucking prick. Like, he was so mean to everybody. He did horrible things to Nancy in that first season. But they allowed him in canon to have, like, this redemption arc where he, like, straightens up his act and <laughs> cleans up and actually becomes, like, a decent person. And now everybody loves Steve Harrington and nobody wants to remember all, like, the dickish stuff that he used to do when he first started out in season one. So this whole like Steve Harrington can do no wrong thing is just <laughs> hilarious to me. But then you get the two of them together, Herring Grove, and people lose their goddamn minds. You know, and it's just... So what you're saying is basically they were made for each other because they're both assholes. Yes. Uh, yes, because you know what? Steve Harrington can pick up what Billy Hargrove is putting down and he can dish it back. You know, he really can. Like, there are some people that don't write him that way, obviously, but there are a lot of people who yeah. do. And so, yeah, he's just kind of dishing it back. And one of the things that's kind of cool about the way people write Steve Harrington is a lot of people write him as a very stable, patient kind of personality. 
which is exactly what Billy Hargrove would need because Billy is kind of just all over the place. He's very fiery and not stable at all and just kind of like, ah, you know, the chaos character kind of. And so in a lot of these fan fictions, Steve is the one who kind of grounds him and is the patient guy tearing down Billy's walls a little bit at a time. I like that dynamic. I think it works great. They actually have these beautiful relationship moments in these fan fictions that I read. And I think, uh, tell me if this makes sense, Danny, because I don't know. I don't know what people think about this, but tell me. I always in my mind, I have to distinguish in my mind between canon characters and the way that these characters are portrayed and developed in fan fiction. They are not the same, in my opinion, and in my brain, right? Because canon characters, you can look at a canon character, and I'm sorry, but the canon character that you're looking at in canon on the screen is probably a fairly flat two-dimensional character. And that's just the way that TV works, right? You only have so much time to develop a character, and so kind of what you see is what you get a little bit on the screen with these canons. But then when you go into fan fiction, there's your chance to really like develop this character or make the character a little bit different that they may be portrayed in canon. So when I say that I love Herring Grove, what I'm really saying is I love the way the Herring Grove is written in fan fiction. I love the way that these fan fiction writers are developing these characters in their stories, which sometimes wildly differs from what you see in canon. So I don't know. I feel like that's an important distinction to make. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Uh, I feel like there's always going to be differences because obviously in fan fiction, you're dealing with a lot of stuff. Like it's fan fiction that isn't canon. So there's more room to play around. And especially when you're looking at situations or characters that have a lot of potential, there's the opportunity to explore that potential. So, you know, you can have your more fanon characterizations and sometimes the community will sort of fall in and gather around in support of a particular thing, but it's not wrong. It's not right either. It's just you know, it's fandom. You can do whatever you want. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And it makes sense that you might pick what's there and sort of view it a different way and want to put it through different lights and situations and see what can come of it. Yeah, I feel like sometimes it's a semantics thing. Because when I say, oh, I love Billy Hargrove, and I love Steve Harrington, I'm not necessarily talking about the canon versions of them. I'm not talking necessarily about the asshole Billy Hargrove that like beats Steve (laughs) Harrington to a pulp. I'm talking about the Billy Hargrove that I see in fan fiction who has that chance for redemption and becomes and develops into this better person. You know, like that's the Billy Hargrove that I stand. I might be a what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I might be a little bit strange and uh, <laughs> in the minority there when I say that, but I do feel like sometimes there are differences, like subtle contextual differences in what people are talking about with these controversial characters. When they say, I love this character or I love that character, I always wonder in my brain, are they talking about the fan fiction version of that character when they say that? Are they talking about the canon version? And I think it's important to make that distinction because sometimes there are some important differences, yeah. right? Yeah, and there might not always be, like, you could just love the canon version of that character, and but I'm of the mind, you know, 
everyone deserves a little love. Everyone deserves the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, you can, I guess the important thing is that even if you're looking at the canon part of it and you're putting it through fan fiction, it's you're taking that potential that was there and maybe giving them different considerations because you don't see everything in any media. You don't see the full story, really. So there's always pieces you can pick up and put in different places and see what comes of it because I don't know everyone's different and you know people grow and change and they could become better or they could become worse that's life you know life changes all of us and the things we experience change us so why wouldn't there be differences in a fanon character when the fanon is taking them different places Yes. No, absolutely. Amazing point. And thank you for reminding all of us that even if somebody is, you know, talking about the canon version of the character that they love, that is perfectly okay, perfectly amazing, perfectly beautiful. I think that everybody gets that opportunity to make that decision for themselves. And like, yeah, we never want to say that people who are falling in love with these like fucked up canon characters, that there's anything wrong with that because there's not. Yeah, I don't judge. Exactly. No judgment. And honestly, like, I feel like people People have really personal reasons at the end of the day for loving these characters, whatever version they're falling in love with, whether it's the canon version or the fan fiction version. People have really valid personal reasons for loving these characters. And that's okay. Okay. No judgment whatsoever on that. So, okay. Tell me about Deku Bakugo because I wrote this down and you put this cute note here when I wrote that down and you were like, yes, let's talk about that one because I... (laughs) I don't read Deku Bakugo. I read fan fiction for the older pro hero characters. <laughs> but I have heard through the grapevine that there is like major controversy with the Deku Bakugo ship from My Hero Academia. And it sounds like you have some thoughts on this one since you, you put a little note in here. Yeah. Next to that. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not as involved in that fandom, so I can't really say where the controversy is coming from, but I have a good guess. It kind of goes back to the dreary thing where it's, you know, that whole enemies to lovers, you know, uh, Bakugo's kind of a jerk, (laughs) which is, you know, something that people take issue with, you know, oh, that character's mean. How dare you think he deserves good things? And then there's, you know, it's the opposite to track thing, you know, uh, Deku's your little cinnamon roll and Bakugo's your angry boy. It's so <laughs> cute. <laughs> yeah, I hear the word toxic being thrown around a lot when people talk about yeah. this ship. They're like, it's so toxic. It. Bakugo's so mean to Deku and it's so toxic. Blah, it. blah, blah. And it's like, I love a toxic relationship. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I don't either. Like, come on. Like, there has to be more than what we see on its surface. You could probably look at that ship and be like, ugh, so toxic. But underneath the surface, which is what fan fiction is trying to explore in the first place, you're going to get more than just what you see on the surface, right? And it's that more. I don't know. There's just something delicious about it. Yeah, it is. It's very appealing to me. I'm always much more intrigued by... Mm, what's the word I'm looking for? I like intensity and passion. I like people who butt heads. And there's just something very 
interesting about this one because it's not always mutual. You know, Deku's just, he's a little, he's sweet. You know, we love him. But they also provide like a challenge for each other, which I think is important. You know, I think Bakugo would be a little bored of anyone that wasn't providing some form of challenge for him. And I feel like they're a good balance for each other. You know, they're different enough. Bakugo is just very, you know, intense and passionate and raging and a little chaotic. But, you know, he's strong and very capable. And I feel like they work well together. You know, they could be each other's support, but they can also provide that bit of, you know, challenge and aggression and just seeing the balance of those two different personalities working together, but they're both strong in their ways. Uh, I think Deku's a little more sure of himself in a way, whereas Bakugo's more like in your face about stuff, but I feel like it's hiding a lot. So it's being able to explore that and Deku being patient and kind and understanding enough to kind of break through all of that armor and seeing through all the bark of him and you know he can put up with yelling and the aggression and get to the bottom of it and get to the core of him and I think Bakugo is just going too hard he would never really see it coming until it was too late which is so ripe for drama and love and cuteness and I'm here for it I love your point about Bakugo being all bark Because I've gotten that impression from Bakugo before. You know, this kid, he has some like deep-seated insecurities here or something. It feels like a mask almost, you know, like this, this really fierce mask where he just can't show any weakness. Some people might call it like toxic masculinity or or whatever you want to call it. But uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, when I see these episodes, though, I see these tiny glimpses of who Bakugo actually is underneath all of that. I feel like he is a good person underneath all of that. Yeah. Because you see little glimpses of him wanting to do the right thing, wanting to help people. He just doesn't know how to do it in a kinder, softer way, you know? So yeah. <laughs> he kind of needs other people to kind of smooth things over a little bit for him and remind him, like, no, Bakugo, like, <laughs> that's not yeah. an appropriate way to react here in this situation. But I see him also in certain situations, like, trying. And I see him wanting to yeah. do the right thing. Just because he does the right thing in a different way than other people would doesn't mean that he's not good. He's just good in his own way. Yeah, and I feel like Deku's a good support for that, where, you know, if Bakugo wants to do the right thing, then Deku is a good person who can support that journey and sort of supply that opportunity for him to see a different way of doing things and have someone there who sees that he's trying, that wants to help him, that appreciates that deep down he is a good person, where a lot of people might not see that. So I think I think a lot of it is Bakugo's character. That's a bit controversial to people. And I kind of wanted to point this out, but my partner is someone who doesn't like Bakugo. He doesn't like Snape. He's very more interested in like the Captain America-esque type characters. He's the kind of person that wants to see his, you know, morals replicated and his protagonists 
So it's kind of funny because I'm drawn to characters like Snape and Bakugo and he just doesn't. When we were first watching My Hero, he just was not happy. He would just gripe and complain about Bakugo the whole time. And I'm just looking at that character all starry-eyed like, I love him. (laughs) I love my angry boys. Yeah, but just like you said, where sometimes you look at people who have like those controversial likes and interests, right? And you you think, oh, what an interesting person. We're going to be friends. Yeah, I see that in you too, man. Like, I love (laughs) it that you love all of this controversial stuff with me because like, it's just, it's interesting. It's so interesting. The people that can look at these controversial characters and see something more and want to dig deep into that. I think that's (laughs) so cool. So I know that uh, the new season, well, at least it's dropping on Hulu. I've been seeing the new season for My Hero dropping on Hulu lately. So I've been catching up on those. Oh, I know. We're a little behind, so we'll have to catch up. There you go. Yeah, you have to catch up. (laughs) I know. The next thing on our list here, as we were thinking about what are some other controversial type shippy things, and we, we kind of made this list of the like, incest pairings in fan fiction because like there are some major ones here did you ever read wincest back when that was a big thing i didn't i knew it was a thing i might have read some of it i was much more of a destiel person personally but you know i respect the wincest yeah yeah no i um I don't remember seeing a whole lot of Destiel at first. I think just because of the way that Castiel doesn't show up until like later seasons or whatever. No, season four. Yeah, it used to be early supernatural uh, fan fiction was all the Wincest stuff. And so back in the early, early, early 2000s, man, that's all we read. That's all people were writing. And so, oh, I read so much Wincest. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. And I understand it. Yeah, you know, and it's just, it's funny. It's super funny because now in 2022, people look back on that stuff and they're like, oh my God, it's so problematic. They're (laughs) brothers. And it's like, okay, like calm down, like calm your shit. You know, I can understand to a point why that would be controversial. But like, I don't know, someone pointed out to me, one of the reasons why incest is considered so controversial is because obviously there's like the social taboo of it, right? Like culturally, that's a social taboo. Why is it a social taboo? Well, because children that come out of a situation like that can have some serious defects because biology and all that stuff. But with Sam and Dean, you don't have that as a factor, right? That's never going to happen unless it's M-Preg, which is fine. I love me some of that. If it's gay, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> so like, you're just kind of looking at it going, okay, well, if that's not a factor here. I know. I always think that. Yeah. It just makes people feel weird, I guess, because they're related and all that, which, you know, that's fine. You don't have to like it. Just leave people alone. Right. Well, and you know, while the child thing doesn't apply to Demon Sam, sometimes it does apply in other incest yeah. pairings that we have on this list. Uh, let me see here. You had put, oh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, that has a big one. That has a big one. Cersei and Jamie, right? Which did result in several children. Mm -hmm. You know what? I'm into it. People really liked it. Yeah, people really liked it. And they were like, we're here for this. What did you think about that whole Cersei, Jamie kind of thing there? (laughs) I was into it. I was 
what was it? It was the first episode, I think you saw them hook up, and I was like, oh, and I was like they're twins. Oh, that's great. That's hot. You know, I, was, I had already been reading lots of problematic stuff by then. I wasn't horrified by incest. It just, I never read the books before, so it caught me by a surprise, and I wasn't expecting it. And then I was like, oh my God, this show is amazing. I was not expecting that at all. And then it just happened, yeah. and I was like, what the fuck? But like, there's just something intriguing about it where you're just like, wow. I know. And just like how much Jamie loves her is just so freaking sweet. And then their circumstances are just so dang sad. And I do love the angst. That's a big draw to a lot of this is I love the angst factor. I love the whole, you know, secret relationships. I love the scandal, the whole having to keep it quiet. I dig it. But I don't know. Their relationship was just, it was special in its way, I think. And it always appealed to me. And I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was rooting for them the whole time, even when Cersei was at her worst. I still couldn't help but want the best for them together. Oh, and that's the thing, too. Like, I'm so glad you brought that up because it is so interesting to see Jamie stick with her, even at her very worst. It's like he just cannot stay away no matter how fucked up she gets, you know? Yeah. He genuinely loves her. Yes. He is so devoted to her. Yeah. And there's just something about that because he is the only person that she gets that from. She is because of the way that she is. She's a very lonely, isolated person. And she does that on purpose, like in a way, you know, mm. with the way that she schemes and treats other people. Yes. But yeah, like Jamie is all she has. So it is kind of interesting and very, I don't know, there is something sad about that. I don't know. It was funny because I always loved Jamie so much that even when she was not someone I could like, I couldn't help but want what was best for her for his sake. No matter what was going on, I was like, I love Jamie's character so much that I need Cersei to be okay. <laughs> yeah. I need her to have good things because he wants that for her because he loves her and I love him. So you know what? I just, that was my whole experience with that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally, I totally get that. I loved Jamie too. I personally was never into like the incest relationship between Jamie and Cersei. I, I found it interesting and like, you know, controversial and like shocking and everything. But, you know, I, I loved him and uh, and Brienne and everything. So I, I would have preferred to see that play out. Yeah. But I can I totally, yeah, I can totally understand and see people's fascination with the whole like Cersei and, and Jamie thing too. So um, either way, super fascinating, super interesting. You wrote down Harry Potter in this incest part of the show here. <laughs> Tell me about that because I genuinely have no idea what you're talking about when you say Harry Potter incest pairing. So what the hell is going on here with Harry Potter? Okay, so first I will start you off with what my friends have termed pseudo incest. So you're looking at not blood relations, but close, you know, personal relations. That's mostly going to be like your godson godfather relationships so harry and sirius or harry and teddy 
or there's the whole Fanon um, idea of Snape being Draco's godfather. So there's, you know, if you're going that direction, there's Draco and Snape. Then you move on to your incest proper. So Weasley says twin cest is a big thing with really? Fred and George. Yeah, like, I don't think anyone, at least in my realm of fandom, no one can picture Fred and George with anyone else. But then you have any of the Weasleys together. I've seen all sorts of pairings that way. Um, Bill and Charlie, I've seen Percy and Ron. So that's sibling incest. And then there's parent-child incest. I've seen, like, Arthur and Ginny or... Arthur and all of his kids actually so I, I enjoy that but I'm much more interested in uh, Malfoy sass that's my big thing oh so Draco Lucius Draco Scorpius there's one fanfic that's a threesome between Lucius Draco and Scorpius which I am hecka into I love that Black cest is another big thing because you're kind of looking at the pure blood aspect of it. And when you're looking at these big blood purist families like the Blacks and the Malfoys, there's going to be a lot of like incest going on that way. So with Black cest, you there's a lot of Regulus and Sirius or Narcissa Bellatrix, Andromeda Bellatrix any of the blacks together really so it's it kind of plays into the whole intermarrying thing that's sort of implied by the blood purity culture of it so that kind of is a good introduction into that or the whole you can um, have like sex magic kind of plays into it too so you have you know parents teaching their children these important magical sexual things oh okay i can see that yeah 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 so it's a lot of like what is it growing up and coming into your like inheritance and you know learning keeping you know the pure blood as it were there's a lot of ways to play into it and make it make a little more sense as to why that might be happening in world if you need a good excuse for it anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I just, I've never explored that side of like Harry Potter fandom. So I was just like, oh, what is this? No, but that makes sense. That makes sense, especially with like you were pointing out, like the pure blood aspect of some of these families. You see that in other universes, um, in other canons and things like that. So uh, that makes sense that you would see that in the Harry Potter fandom as well, where people are like, oh, yeah, yeah. the pure blood thing where you just want to keep it all in the family. That's so fascinating. So, okay. So Harry Potter has like a ton of them. A ton. Yeah. I saw some in, in The Hobbit just because like the whole Feely Keely thing was a big thing back when The Hobbit fandom was kind of big. You know, I read a lot of fan fiction in The Hobbit. So I saw a lot of that stuff uh, with the two brothers, you know. And then uh, I think you wrote down Star Wars here. And I forgot all about that because I was like, wait, Star Wars. But then Luke Leia, right? You would yeah. see stuff with Luke Leia. And I don't know. That one's a fun one for me. I've never read any, but I was thinking about it. And I was like, well, technically they weren't raised together. They were separated almost their entire lives. And they are technically like biologically related, but they didn't grow mm. up together. And, you know... 
you do see situations like that in real life where sometimes, you know, separated siblings end up together and don't even know until years later that they're even related. That happens in real life. Yeah, there's a term for it. It's called genetic sexual attraction. It's a concept in which a strong sexual attraction may develop between close blood relatives who first meet as adults. So it's like an actual thing that's happened enough times for it to have its own term. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it has happens. It Wikipedia page. Yeah, it has its own Wikipedia page and everything. So yeah, that's what's going on there with Star Wars, you know, like, and that's super fascinating. And it's so funny because when I first watched the films when I was younger, you know, it was like Han and Leia, but I was like, but Luke and Leia, I was like, I don't care that they're twins. <laughs> In fact, I'm much more invested in it now. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, can you imagine? Because they're both force sensitive. And yeah. so like they have just a lot in common. They have that common background. They're both like very strong, powerful people when they both come into their own. It is just a fascinating kind of thing. And like thinking about it, when you mentioned that they like first meet as adults, it's interesting because a lot of the incest I read is like, not that really because I was gonna say yeah like if I think about it like if you think about when says like they grew up together I was gonna say you know that pairing makes sense as why fans are drawn to it because for the first three seasons it was really just them so if you were gonna ship anything you know those are the two characters you really have to be connected to but even in universe you're thinking the way they grew up They were on the road together a lot, going through a lot of big experiences together. Like, it makes sense to me that Sam and Dean would have that sort of connection because they're from such a dysfunctional family. They had, like, a very weird upbringing. Like, that makes sense. And then if you're looking at, you know, the Harry Potter world, I read a lot of you know, if you do read the twin cests, Fred and George, they grew up together. A lot of like the Weasley cest, the Black cest, the Malfoy cest. That's all involving people that grew up together, you know, siblings that were raised together, parents who were raising their children, you know, that's a lot more bad, dirty, wrong. And they're more aware of it. I think in like Supernatural, there's just so much separation between them and the rest of the world where it might not feel as taboo for Sam and Dean. And then if you're looking at Harry Potter, there might be a little more taboo, but like also like a known thing in the family accepted in its own way in its own world. But they're so aware of that connection the whole time. Whereas Luke and Leia not so much. So I've never actually read fan fiction for them. I've just always been intrigued by the concept. But now I'm kind of like, hmm, that would be an interesting way to explore it as them being siblings, but they weren't raised together and sort of seeing how different that might be from something like Wincest or 
Weasley cest and things like that. Exactly. Exactly. I love that point because it is, it's this whole other realm of that particular trope to explore. Because you're right, on all of the others, they have that shared history and that shared background of being together, you know, growing up and stuff. But uh, yeah, Luke and Leia don't have that. So I don't know. I don't, how would that be different, you know, and how would they develop between that you know, initial friendship that they have in canon. How how does that develop into something more? It's just very, very interesting. Um, I'm I'm with you. I've never actually read Star Wars fan fiction with the two of them before, so I don't even know how that goes. I'm sure it exists. Everything exists. You know, what did they say? Rule 42 of the internet. So um, it definitely exists somewhere out in the world. Oh, and then on this list, on this uh, incest list, I put Oasis because my friend Sarah and her sister, Elise51, over there from the the Talk and Fanfic podcast, they are super into the... uh, oasis fandom right now it's a it's a band it was an old band from the from the 90s and it's brothers right this band is is two brothers Mm. and uh and so it's rpf fan fiction and and it is you know rpf incest fan fiction between two brothers the oasis brothers so you know there's there's that whole thing and i just think it's very interesting i've had the opportunity to talk to uh to sarah many times about the whole incest thing because she she's so funny because she she says i never thought i would be writing you know like rpf incest between two brothers you know that's so weird and we just talk all the time about how yeah, it can be considered a controversial taboo subject, but there's also a lot there to explore, right? Like you want to explore yeah. the background, like how did they get from siblings to romantic partners? Why would that happen? How did that happen? What does that look like? What does it mean for their careers? I mean, just like all this stuff that you could explore. And it's just been super fun to to hear the two of them talk about Oasis and those brothers and everything. And and then you, you know, slip the RPF uh, aspect into it and it just gets really um, interesting. So that's been fun talking to them about all of that. But um, I know that we wanted to talk also before we move on to the the age gap stuff, or maybe this is how we move into the age gap stuff but we wanted to talk about speaking of the game of thrones universe house of the dragon right we wanted to slip the ad in here yes please and thank you oh my god i have to state this right off the bat pog if you are out there and listening to this you are welcome to come to arizona and kick my ass for this because i'm pretty sure i am on the record saying that i would not be watching house of the dragon because of how game of thrones got so fucked up at the end and we were so angry about that last season eight and how it was handled and we were like we're not giving house of the dragon a chance blah 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 and i'm pretty sure i said that like on the record somewhere and i meant it at the time so yeah pog please come kick my ass like i deserve it but I will say that I started watching House of the Dragon because um, it was kind of like the car crash thing where you just want to see like how fucked up it is and how like stupid it is, you know, and I thought, oh, I just want to see how bad this is. And then it got me. And I'm like too far in deep now. I can't get out. Like I have to see what happens. But there is some fucked up shit going on with the pairings in this show. It's so good. I don't even care. I stand. I am here for Damon and Rhaenyra. I don't (laughs) care. I ship it to death. (laughs) Come for me. I just, I love them. So I have to ask, 
did you see that coming? I feel like I didn't quite see it coming. I mean, there are those moments in the early parts of season one where Rhaenyra is a teenager. You know, I can't quite remember how old she is, but she is a teenager, right? She's she's still a kid and she's talking to her uncle and there are these moments where they stare at each other very intensely Mm -hmm. or he's paying attention to her in a very intense way. And there's this this way that she talks to him that she does not talk to anybody else. And you can kind of see, okay, there's some sort of relationship here that she has with her uncle that's a little bit different. And there was that part of me that was like, huh, okay, like, that's weird. And then it goes straight from there to this, like, incest stuff. And I will say, I'm not sure I saw it coming, Danny. Like, did you see that coming? Was that a surprise to you when that stuff started happening? I saw it coming a mile ah. away. The first scene they were in, I was like, yes. <laughs> You're so much better at predicting this stuff than I am, man. Like, I did not. So, yeah, I was shocked. (laughs) In fairness, they are Targaryens. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. They're well known for this. (laughs) That's a good point. Okay, I gotcha. But, yeah, like, it was, like, wow. It was so wow. Because the first time that they almost hook up, she is still a kid. Like, she's still a teenager, right? And we're assuming that Damon's, like, I don't know in his 20s or 30s at that point i don't even know yeah not the same age well and he's her uncle it's all right yeah either way you slice it right there is some like (laughs) weird stuff going on but people are going crazy over it danny like when i first started watching the show you know how twitter spies on you right? Twitter knows what you're up to. Twitter knows everything. Yeah. Twitter started showing me House of Dragon Twitter. And I started seeing all of these random tweets about it. People are so into it. So into it. It's unbelievable. I'm so into it. Yeah. People are like rooting for these characters. And they keep saying in their tweets like, oh, this is so wrong, you know, but like, oh, I like I I, I, I love this. Why do I love this? It's so interesting. (laughs) It's tapping into something in people. I don't know if it's like the train wreck thing where it's so dramatic that people are just like, oh, I love the drama or if it's something else. But yeah, it's striking a chord with a lot of people. Yeah. And I've seen on Twitter a lot of the um, not so happy side about it who are like, that's incest and that's gross. What's wrong with you? (laughs) That's that's Twitter for you. People of Twitter have opinions about everything. Oh, don't they ever. But... (laughs) So I don't like to be on Twitter too much for that reason, because I'm just not into uh, shaming people for what they like. But and it was funny because the first episode where Rainier is all grown up and she's got her babies and Harwin Strong is on the scene and then everyone is suddenly all into Harwin. And I was like, but her hot uncle. Bring back my incest, damn it. (laughs) No, I know. I know. You know, I was going to say the whole thing with Matt Smith. I'm going to be honest, and this is no critique of Matt Smith. I'm sure he's a wonderful person, but he's not the type of dude that I would normally look at and be like, oh, he's so hot. But Danny, they gave him that gorgeous long hair and I am weak for gorgeous long hair. And that's what got me. I was like, oh, my God. I'm not super into like Matt Smith aesthetically speaking, but like yeah. 
oh my God, that long hair. And when he um, was doing battle with the crab feeders and stuff that whole time. Yeah. Uh, that was hot. I'm sorry, but it was. Yeah. Like his character is hot. Like, I don't, I don't care about how people look. I'm asexual. Okay. I just, I, that doesn't do it for me. But it's like the personality. It's the presence. It's who he is. And I'm just like, dang. <laughs> That's what does it for me. <laughs> oh, no, you are so right about the whole presence thing because he just captures yeah. the screen every single time that he is there in front of the camera. He just has this way every single time that he's with Rhaenyra on screen. It's kind of funny because, like, he is so intense when he's not with her. Like, he is in yeah. charge and he's so intense and blah, blah, blah. And he's intense with her, too. In a different way. Yeah, it's in this different way where it's almost, it feels deferential to me, you know? Yes. Like, he recognizes that she's just as intense as he is and he is all about that. He appreciates mm. it, encourages it, and he wants that from her in a way that she doesn't get from anybody else and it's been fascinating watching the last couple of uh, episodes because they're like fully together now and he just mm -hmm. defers to her in a way that I'm just like oh my god this is so great I'm so here for this yeah it's like it's almost it makes me think of like that devotion that Jamie has to Cersei yes. but in a different way where it's like he worships her in a way and he's devoted to her in a way, but it doesn't, what's the word? It doesn't really soften him in the same way it does Jamie. He's right. still sort of like in charge in a way. He's just like, I'm here being strong and her support. And this is my teammate and we're equals, but I want what's best for her. So I'm going to focus on her where she's his priority and, she's someone that he admires and it's just by being there for her he's supporting them as a team kind of thing yes that's exactly it that's exactly it and he does it in the most fucked up way and it's delicious because it's like that's beautiful. the other part of the controversy right it's not only is he her uncle not only is there this like crazy age gap but he does like genuinely awful things like awful awful things you know you could yes. look at him and be like you are not a good person damon like this is horrible <laughs> And yet, and yet, and yet, yeah, when he turns that into, he focuses that like awful energy into supporting her and doing the dirty work for yeah. her because that's what he does now. He's sort of like yeah. the attack dog here in a sense. Yes. Something dirty and wrong needs to be done. He's going to do it, yeah. right? Like somebody has to do the bad thing and he's just going to do it. And so like every week we turn in like, okay, what awful shit is Damon going to do this time? Because <laughs> you know he's going to do yeah. something awful. And you're oh, just yeah. like, okay, I can get behind that. That's fine. But yeah, that's the other like controversial part of this whole thing is just how awful he is, you know? And I think that's kind of what makes them work is like she is this great opportunity for him to use the worst parts of himself for a greater good. She is his queen, and she was meant to be everyone's queen. And it is his right and his honor to do whatever he needs to do to get her on that throne. Yes, she has scary dog privileges. 
because Damon is there. Yeah! She's confident in the fact that whatever needs to be done, he's going to do it. And he's going to step up for her, you know, in a way that other people wouldn't. Like, I did think it was so interesting that the um, relationship she had with her first husband. I forget the mm-hmm. correct pronunciation of his name. Was it Len- Lenore? It's Lenor. Lenor, yeah. Like I-, I liked him. I liked him a lot, but he just—he uh, didn't have that same ability to really step up for her in the way that she needed it. You know, I think he wanted to. He wanted to grow into that person, but she recognized yeah. that, like, yeah, I just don't have time to wait around for that. But I still love you, so you know, we're gonna fix this. I loved how they resolved that whole thing. It was awful. Yeah. It was so awful the way that they did it. But I like, know. you know there's that part of you that's like oh I love how they resolve this anyway Damon absolutely steps up for her in a way that nobody else was capable of so anyway it's just this like crazy thing but uh yeah it has been really interesting you know like seeing people just say a root for this knowing that it's you know it is fucked up and everything and it's so dramatic but uh I don't know we just we like it we like it and we, we tune in every week to watch what's gonna happen because it's just uh it's crazy it's absolutely crazy but yeah anything else we wanted to say about that no i just it's the same thing i i just love all the controversial stuff i love the scandal but with them specifically i just am very into like i think i said earlier i love the intensity and the passion and they have so much of that in spades and i was like so you're talking about Lenore, and i was like he's all right but her uncle's her soulmate so you know it's just it has to happen but yeah i love it i'm here for it i i have no shame i love all the bad dirty wrong things so (laughs) it's fine it is fine no judgment no judgment because i like it too and uh and it's just fascinating it's absolutely fascinating to watch of course with questionable age gaps you know we kind of covered those already in some of the stuff we were talking about prior snaring obviously huge age gap although i will yeah. point out i will point out that um <laughs> you know in in most of the fan fiction that i've read anyway when snary is still in school most of the fan fiction i've read he's 16 in most of the ones that I've read. And a lot of people like to point out that in the UK, 16 is, you know, the age of consent. So that's something to consider and everything. And then a lot of the first scenarios that I ever read, the old school ones, he was aged up where it was like later on in in Harry's life when they get together and stuff. But that's not to say that we don't have lots of age gap scenario stories that could be absolutely considered controversial. You know, and I think it's people's right to explore that. I like the underage stuff. I don't care. Yeah, there's something to be said for that and exploring that and everything. And again, it's fiction, right? Nobody's getting hurt. It's not real. I feel like I want to put a disclaimer on all future fanfics. Like, no real people were hurt in the making of this fanfic. I swear. <laughs> Just like those old school disclaimers, like I don't own yeah. any of the Harry Potter characters, you know, don't sue me. <laughs> oh, that would be funny. I just started off that way as like a nod to the older times and yes. then slip into and no real people were harmed in the making of this story. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, folks. Like no real people were harmed in the making of this age gap fan fiction. I understand that some people don't like to read that. I get that. Like for me personally, I don't read a whole lot of like really, how how would I put this? I normally don't read age gaps where one of the parties is still like a child. Like for me, 
that is like probably the only squick that I have. I think that that stuff has the right to exist. I think it has the right yeah. to be posted. I think it, you know, people have the right to like it and enjoy it. And I don't think anyone's a bad person for that. Just for me personally, you know. And so what I do yeah. is uh, I don't click on stories like that. And if I happen to come upon one, I just click out of it. And I don't leave nasty reviews. I don't leave nasty notes for the author because people have a right to do whatever they want when nobody is getting hurt. And it's just fiction and nobody, you know, like nobody's hurt <laughs> with the writing yeah. of fiction. Uh, so I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about that is I was going to say I do read a lot of more underage stuff. It's not like all I read, but I do read a good bit of it. And there's one in particular that I really like, and it's really, really not good. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Harry Potter? Yeah. Uh, but it's like, mm, Snape is doing all kinds of not okay things. I don't care. I love it. But the author has a note on that story basically saying they've got their comments moderated to my recollection, but they have a note basically saying... Everything is tagged. You've clicked on this story, knowing what it was about. Don't come at me about anything. You clicked on it, knowing what it is. So I don't want to hear your bullshit <laughs> was basically their little note there. And I was like, yes. And that prompted me to like leave a comment, actually, because it's an older one. And I don't often comment on older stories just because I'm not sure if like, the author's reading it or not. But I was like, I love this. This is great. Keep doing your thing. Like, just all of the praise, because I figure this person's probably got a lot of heat, because the story itself would maybe make me think that, but the note especially, I'm like, oh, they heard some stuff about this, so I'm just going to leave them all the love, because they did the thing. And I respect it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's so great that you would do that because I think that you're absolutely right. That people that venture into that kind of, a, you know, territory and post it for other people to enjoy, they must hear awful things all the time on their stuff. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. It, it's so unfortunate because, you know, if it's tagged appropriately, then if you're the yeah. type of person that doesn't want to see that stuff... You know, the tags are there, people. Like, read the fucking tags and you don't have to click into the story. And I just, you know, again, and we've we've said this before during this episode, but like the whole idea of equating someone's character and someone's morality as a writer based on the stuff that they produce and write, that does not compute I don't agree with yeah. that. I don't understand it. Just because somebody wants to explore those topics in the context of fiction does not make them a bad person, does not mean that they would condone that kind of a thing in real life. But yeah. art is there for us to explore these controversial topics and these taboo topics in a safe environment where nobody is getting hurt. And there is nothing wrong with that. So, you know, just keep in mind, everybody. And I know most of the people I think that listen to the show are like super cool people that know that already. Yeah. So I'm preaching to the choir here. Absolutely. But just mind the tags, man. Like <laughs> if it's not your thing, don't click on it. Yeah. And what gets me is that if you're attacking people over fiction, right? So you're thinking that this is a bad person because they wrote something and what they wrote didn't hurt anybody. If you were hurt by it, I'm just going to say 
that's probably your fault because you clicked on it. Like most people I know tag things correctly. If you're clicking on something that you know you don't want to read, that's on you. And if the mere knowledge that this exists upsets you that much, like you're attacking real people, you are being negative, you are being cruel, you are judging people, you are doing actual harm to real people because you think they're doing something wrong when they didn't hurt real people. They're minding their own business, reading what they want to read, writing what they want to write. Between these two people, who's in the wrong? Is it the person that's minding their own business, playing in their little fantasy world? Or the people that are berating you, insulting you, doxing you sometimes? Like, Who's really in the wrong there? Yes. Oh, thank you for bringing up that. That is probably one of the best points of this whole episode, honestly, is yes, you are absolutely correct that going into these spaces and attacking real people who are writing this stuff, the only people that get hurt in that scenario is the person that you're attacking. So who, like you said, who's doing the real damage here? Because the writer didn't hurt anybody. It's fiction. Like you said, attacking that person, doxing them, all of that stuff, that hurts an actual real human being in the real world. And I know that there have been many people who have had that happen to them. And it takes years to process that and to work through that. And that causes actual harm. And the fact that there are people out there that want to harm real human beings for thought crimes Is that really the kind of world that we want to live in where we're harming like real human beings for thought crimes? Like, what is this, 1984? You know, like, Mm, that's not the community we want to live in. I'm like, I like that book. I love that book. I don't want that book to be real. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Let's not turn all minority report here, guys. Like, let's not attack each other for thought crimes. Okay. Just not cool. Not cool at all. Okay, so with the age gap stuff, we could, you know, I mean, we've talked about already like the Tom Riddle stuff. Obviously, that's like huge Mm. age gap, no matter who you pair him with, right? That's just going to happen. I actually saw this funny meme about an age gap for the Lord of the Rings kind of a deal. (laughs) There was this like, I think I think people were talking about it because of the Rings of Power show that's recently come out, you know, on Amazon Prime. But people were talking about the age gap in Lord of the Rings between Arwen and Aragorn because a lot of people never stop to think that that's like a huge age gap thing because Arwen (laughs) is like over a thousand, you know, she's thousands of years old. And Aragorn, I think they kind of grew up together as like not quite step siblings, but like they did grow up together. Arwen's father did take in Aragorn from a young age. And by the time we see him pop up in Lord of the Rings, he's about 80 years old, which is a huge age gap between him and Arwen because she's like <laughs> thousands of years old. And people were like, oh, my God, the age gap, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, ugh, are you kidding me? Yeah. That comes up a lot in anime, too. Right. Right. Anime. And I've also seen it done in um, vampire-ish type stories where the vampire character is hundreds of years old. Edward and Bella. 
Yes, yes, yes. You know, I also see it happen sometimes in science fiction related um, stories where the alien is Ah. hundreds of years old or there's no way to accurately even calculate how old the alien character is. And so what do you do with stuff like that? Like, you're going to have age gap stuff. It's just kind of funny. And then you put Starker. I hadn't even thought of this till you put Starker. Yeah. I know a lot of people who love that ship. I'll be honest. My Marvel ship of choice is Tony Stark and Steve Rogers. But I know a lot of people who love the Starker. And in theory, I love it too. I've never read it. But I love an age gap. You know, you've got Tony the playboy, the millionaire, and Peter, who's just so cute and sweet and funny. That is a dynamic there. I can appreciate what that is. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know much about the canon personality of Peter Parker or Spider-Man, but in the movies, at least, that I've seen, there's this, like, way that he looks up to Tony Stark, right? Because, you know, Tony's so smart and he has all this cool tech and he's just like very cool. And I can totally see how Peter Parker would look up to that because he's in that young age where he's kind of looking for that mentor type figure. Yeah, It doesn't sound like his parents are in the picture, right? So he doesn't have a, he he has his aunt, you know, which is great. And, and uh, I think in some universes, he has his uncle too. And, and, and so he does, yeah. have some adults in his life but he is looking for that like adult mentor type situation and then in a lot of universes he's in a situation where uh you know he's often isolated and alone for whatever reason and yeah. so y- you can absolutely see where he would kind of you know be looking for that i don't know found family kind of a thing and and in steps tony with all of his like resources yeah. and he's got places for peter to live and all that stuff and mm-hmm. i can absolutely see how you know plus you get the impression that tony really like has a soft spot for that kid yeah he's got a good heart beneath it all and i feel like that's both of them they both have really good hearts and you know they have like the superhero thing to bond over they're both really smart that's another thing is like tony could like look at peter and be like whoa this kid is like so smart and so talented and respect that and want to support that and encourage that like i feel like they could meet on like a more playful level they can meet on that you know level of wanting to do the right thing but they can also meet on that like intellectual level which I think is really important for both of them I think so too that both of them seem like they would want that in a partnership I can totally see how that could happen right (laughs) but of course people are going to go crazy about like the age gap oh my god also though like Sorry, I'm going to expose myself. Um, The daddy kink potential. Hello. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny because when, when I first saw this, my mind went to Dad Stark because th- there is a type of fiction, and I don't know what it's called, but there is a type of fan fiction where it's just a platonic type of like fatherly relationship that he has Mm -hmm. with uh, Peter Parker. And I know people who like that kind of a thing, you know, because it's more of a parental type family type dynamic situation. And that's great. And I can see 
right why people would like that but then I yeah. went from there to thinking like oh but there's also this like if you take it farther than that there's like yeah. this kinky daddy stark kind of a thing that you could go with it too and I'm sure that there are people that really enjoy the daddy kink in the starker situation like, so I dig it like I I was, I've not even, like, I don't ship this, except now I think I might. <laughs> I'm going to have to go read some starker fic after this. But, like, it's so ripe for so many bad things. Like, if you want to do that more parental role, that leads to something else. So there's, like, the underage of it. There's, like, the pseudo-incest of it. The age gap. The power dynamics, I guess, because Tony's like a well-known person and a wealthy person and he's got all of this stuff that he can use, all this power that he has. So you get into all sorts of questionable stuff there. And like when you brought up the um, more dad start, it, it reminded me there's some scenery fix like that where there's the trope of severitis, which is like more Snape being a parental figure to Harry or like a mentor figure and going from that to proper snary. I love that. I eat that up. So now I'm like, that can happen in Starker too. Sign <laughs> me up. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. It is so ripe for that. So ripe. I am so sure that so many fics like that exist. For Starker, because you're right. I'm like, gonna go find them. That stuff exists for Snary all over the place. I have seen it. Yeah. And yeah, it's just this like, you know, it's a, just a different way of exploring the dynamic. It really is. Because you're right that there is that power dynamic thing, that kind of a relationship. I... <laughs> Here we go talking about like the controversial tropes, right? The, the general ones. I have always had a thing, Danny, for power dynamic tropes. If I had to, you know, say my favorite kind of trope, and this is totally outing myself here on the podcast, but it's all about the power dynamic tropes for me. I just eat that shit up. It's a kink of mine, apparently. <laughs> like, yes! I just love it and I don't apologize for it. And you'll see it all over my AO3 bookmarks. It's insane. Um, but yeah, That's okay. apparently lots of other people share that with me because I have plenty of material yeah. to find and read on AO3 yes. with the power dynamic thing. It's just delicious. So, you know, it's fiction, though. Like in real life maybe don't get into that sort of relationship but this is not real life this is fiction i want to read some horrible terrible questionable power dynamics age gaps all of the things i'm interested in that i'm a good girl in every other area of my life let me have my story <laughs> yes yes exactly now i will point out that there are some people in real life that do enjoy those types of consensual power dynamic oh, yeah. relationships. And that's totally beautiful and fine and wonderful. They have rules and they agree on the rules beforehand and it's healthy and it's totally fine. I don't personally do that in my real life, but more power to people if they want to have, you know, a consensual type relationship like that. But yes, I agree, Danny, that in fiction, it's never that healthy, at least the ones that I read. Yeah. I don't want to see healthy, like, power dynamic <laughs> fix because no. there's no fun in that. I'm sorry. There's not. So there's I want to see the more fucked up stuff. 
Um, and so that's yeah. where I'm gravitating to. And yes, give me my stories. Am I going to treat people like that in real life in my own interpersonal relationships? No. But do I want to no. see it in a fictional story? Absolutely. I do. I'm sorry, but I do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and there's a difference between someone using their position and power to like manipulate people and like abuse people. And that's not okay. I have no desire to do that. I have no desire to let it happen to me. And, you know, if people want to role play that, if they want to have a master or a slave and it's all consensual, good for you. But, you know, like it's different in real life versus fiction. And I have a perfectly happy, healthy relationship in real life. I don't want to read about happy, healthy relationships. You're like, I get enough of that at home. Give me something controversial. <laughs> yeah. I'm just here to have fun. I'm here to explore different things. So, yeah, and it's a safe way to do it. Like you said earlier, like no one's actually being hurt. And this is a way to like see different things things different scenarios how different people will react to different situations what might drive someone to do xyz it's getting a glimpse into possibility and potential in bad ways like i'm not gonna sugarcoat it it's just seeing the darker side of the world the darker side of humanity and as long as no one's actually being hurt by that why not? Like, we're curious, you know, we want to know things and explore things. And it's about understanding people and relationships and the world and how people are impacted by things. Like, I find that interesting. And that's why I like all of this controversial, scandalous, problematic stuff, because it's just exploring things that are more taboo and sort of getting a grasp on what might be going through people's heads and what they might be feeling and how this is playing out. It's not actually real, but it's the opportunity to explore and think about these things. And it's just interesting. And I love your point about the exploration aspect. As human beings, isn't that the natural way that we are as human beings is we're curious, right? We are curious yeah. creatures <laughs> and we're constantly asking questions and we just have this natural inclination as humans to want to explore things and art lets us do that. And I think that that is one of the more interesting aspects of art, in my opinion, is that ability to push the envelope and that ability to explore, like you said, in a safe way. That's not hurting anybody, but it is a vehicle that we use to explore things. And yeah, sometimes those things are going to be controversial and they're going to trigger some people. But there are some folks who think that that's what art is supposed to do in some certain aspects, right? Like sometimes art is supposed to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes art is supposed to push you out of your comfort zone a little bit and make you think and make you ask those questions. Of course, you have no obligation to engage with that art if you don't want to, right? But yeah. if you do, sometimes art's purpose is to, <laughs> you know, venture into the, you know, controversial world of uh, uncomfortable topics and everything. And I, I think that there's nothing wrong with that at all. 
again, it's interesting to me how some want to demonize people who like to explore in those ways when it's really more like a, a perfectly natural human thing. But yeah, just very, very, very interesting. <laughs> but uh, I know that we had we had some really interesting discussions, um, you and me, over email about some of the reasons why sometimes some of us like to explore these darker topics and things. And I know that we've touched on a, a bunch of those, but um, I think before we end our conversation today, I just kind of wanted to to go back to that here really quick because... I know that I've talked to to lots of, you know, fan fiction writers because of this show at this point. And um, and some of them have been dark fic writers and readers just like me. And sometimes we talk about that and we go, you know, there's a lot of potential here, I think, not just for the exploration aspect, but some of us just really need that ability to process these topics, you know, because yeah. you really never know what background someone is coming from when they engage with this type of controversial content. You don't know anything about that person's background or their life experiences. And for some of us, this is how we process things that have actually yeah. happened to us, right, in real life. And I think that that's valid. Uh, it's therapeutic. It's catharsis. It's, I don't know. Like, I have a lot of, like, anxiety. I have a lot of trauma. And I have a lot of, like, feelings and thoughts about things and being able to sort of engage with that in fiction is good for me even if it's not like exactly what I'm going through it does sort of help me in a way it's like acknowledging something inside of me that is hurt and confused and just sort of like seeing that and connecting to it so there's that and that's important and valid and there's this sort of conversation that comes up of like well you never know who's writing these things or why they're writing it and well maybe it's because they were abused themselves or come from some form of trauma that they're dealing with and that is valid but you shouldn't expect that. Like the expectation shouldn't be that you're reading or writing things because your therapist said so, because you need it. Like it's okay because that's true, but you shouldn't like demand to know people's trauma or what issues they have to validate why they're doing this. It's like, oh, well, I need you to give me a full list of all of your issues so I can tell you whether or not you're actually allowed to be writing these things. Right. That is horrible. That's horrible. I shouldn't have to tell strangers on the internet all of my trauma to deal with my own trauma. Right. Excuse you. Yes. There's nothing wrong with liking this stuff without that. Like, it goes back to the whole you know, exploring things, you know, learning things, being interested, that's valid too. Not everyone has trauma that they're trying to work through, but some people do. Both are valid. It's fine. And you don't know where that person's coming from. And you don't have a right to know where they're coming from. Yes, 
Absolutely. I'm so glad that you said that. Yes, because I have seen that discourse. And I think it's very odd. Anybody who would think that, oh, the writer of this needs to explain themselves and they need to come from some sort of like traumatic past or, or whatever to be qualified. You know, it's like they're trying to like create this false like qualification that you have to come from some sort of like, you know, certain yeah. life experience or certain trauma to write this kind of a thing or to enjoy it. And that's simply not true. It's valid if that's the case for you, but that doesn't mean that you have to come from some kind of background like that, like you said, to enjoy it or to write it. I don't know. I feel like sometimes in the fan fiction world, when it comes to these controversial fan fiction topics, sometimes there's this like push to, I don't know, justify yourself, you know, justify yourself. Yeah. And it's like, why? Why should we have to do that? Where am I going with this? I don't even know where I'm going with it. But it just feels <laughs> like there's always been, maybe in the fan fiction spaces, this, I don't know, this thing jiggling in the back of all of our brains that we feel like we have to justify it. And I don't know if that's coming yeah. internally from our own people or if that stems from outside forces outside of fan fiction spaces, because I feel like in the early days of fan fiction, before the internet was ever created, even when people were just writing fan fiction in fanzines and passing those around at conventions, there seemed to be this I don't know, almost like there was some sort of underlying shame that some people carried around as writers of fan fiction where they yeah. did feel like we have to justify this somehow or something because people outside of fan fiction spaces just thought it was so weird. I feel like that's kind of carried forward into even today's time where sometimes we do feel some sort of pressure to justify ourselves with yeah. fan fiction, especially with these controversial topics. When I think you and I, we've had so many discussions about this, and I don't think you or I think that uh, there's any need for justification. No, I think it's like societal expectation and like a shame that comes from outside judgment and just being so aware of how other people might take it that sort of like leads into that and then another thing to maybe consider is that a lot of people in fandom are people who were outsiders othered in a way and sort of kind of finding a common ground and finding a place to explore things that popular media doesn't. And so in the beginning, you had people who were a little weird, you know, your nerdy people, people who felt alone, people who didn't see themselves represented in the world around them, people who were the black sheep of the family, you know, the nerds at school, that kind of thing. And it's been recent years where fandoms become a little more widely known and accepted. So I've seen this sort of conversation where it's like you have a lot of more quote unquote normal people in fandom spaces sort of maybe spreading that shame in a way because they're coming into a group of people that were always a little different and carrying their own expectations into a space that was built by people who were different. So I, I wonder if like that maybe plays a part of it too, is just people who feel so judged by others all of the time and 
even in a space that was built for them where they're allowed to explore those things feeling like you know this is my opportunity to do that but also what does it say about me that I am doing that you know that kind of thing maybe where I don't know just people who are different and feeling different and just being so aware of how different they are. Oh, I love that point. Yes, I love that because it sounds like you're describing a culture clash between those of us who have been here, right? We've been here in this space and we're like, hey, we built this space and this space was for us, right? Who are kind of weird, who are kind of like, we like exploring weird stuff and it might look weird to you. And then, yeah, and then you have people coming in who, I don't know, maybe don't come from that kind of a thing. And they're like shocked by it, like genuinely shocked. And and they want to bring that shit. And that's such an interesting point. I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's kind of like why we wanted to do this episode, right? Where we just want to remind people like, hey, there's nothing weird about liking this stuff and there's nothing wrong with you. If you get enjoyment out of any of this controversial stuff, it doesn't say anything about you as a person. You are valid and you are good and wonderful. Huge shout out, right? To anybody who likes these types of stories, and a huge shout out to anyone who writes these kinds of stories. Like, I love you from the bottom of my heart because, um, you know, where would I be without all of this amazing stuff to explore and read? We just wanted to, I don't know, give huge hugs and kudos to everybody in this space who uh, has uh, any involvement to any of these these things that, uh, you know, we love you. We absolutely love you. Any last words, Danny, before we get out of here and close out our conversation about all this controversial shit? Yeah, uh, just one more point about especially what you had to say about like content creators. Like creating content is very difficult and it's very vulnerable and personal and sharing it is really scary. Even the tamest, fluffiest stuff So for people out there delving into the dark side and then being brave enough to put that in that out into the world, like huge kudos for that, because one, people out there do appreciate it. We do need that content. And we just have to recognize that it's not always easy. You know, it's hard. People might judge it. People might say things to you like that's really hard, but you're not alone at all. There are obviously tons of people out there who enjoy it. And yeah, all the love. Super appreciate it. Absolutely. All the love. All the love. Well, thanks for sticking with us today, folks. And Danny, thank you so much for co-hosting today. This was absolutely a blast. It was. Awesome. Awesome. We'll have her back, folks. We will have her back. Uh, You can find (laughs) the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at fanficmaverickpodcast, on Instagram and Twitter at fanficmaverick. And I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling.